Those yeah. four letters changed my life. I had a thing. And finally, I could identify this thing and say, okay, I am going to do all the work now necessary with all of the great trauma-informed care and all of the great PTSD uh, healing modalities to be able to address that at its root cause. And, and in doing so, I'll really be able to figure out where the anxiety comes from, where the obsessive compulsive disorder comes from, and be able to manage it in a completely different way. You're a high achiever. On paper and through the eyes of others, you've made it. Congratulations. But the truth is, you feel unwanted, unworthy, and unlovable. You always have, but you hide it well. Welcome to the Trauma Hiders Podcast. I'm Karen Goldfinger Baker, and this is a podcast where high achievers like you finally reveal what keeps them up at night that no amount of money or recognition will fix. I'm also making it my business to speak with people who get you. Hell, I get you. I am you. So get your best hider's face on, sit down, and let your guard down. What's on the other side of this shit will change your life. There are so many ways people like us fuck ourselves over. But let's start with five ways. When you know them, maybe you'll finally stop doing them. Over on my website, you'll find a free download listing the five ways your fuckery is getting in the way of the next level of your success. Grab it now at KarenGoldfingerBaker.com. My guest today is Eric DeRosa. Listen in as Eric, a self-proclaimed trauma hider, draws parallels to the movie Fight Club, which was one of the inspirations for the name of this podcast, The Trauma Hiders Club. You'll hear us dig deeper as Eric shares his mission to normalize conversations around mental health issues free of judgment. You'll hear truth, reflection, forgiveness, self-compassion, and the heartbreak that drives us to create a world that opens up and welcomes us no matter who we are. Listen now. Eric, I'm so glad you're here. This is awesome. Happy Monday, Karen. I'm so excited to be on your show. It's uh, it's truly an honor. And, uh, you know, I was thinking over the weekend just about your title and the Trauma Hiders Club, and it got me thinking about a lot of things. I And we can talk about this throughout. I just got back from New York and kind of on a personal journey of sorts of many years. And, but also, it got me thinking about how I hide, how I hid things for so 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 very long, and mm. and you know just your very title, trauma hiders, and and yeah. why we why we hide, and and what it is that we're hiding from, and and what causes us to hide. So really excited to to have the conversation today. Yeah, the thing about the trauma hiders club, maybe it's I don't know, maybe it's a not so secret secret. I've thought of it as like the untold truth, and that is the title is I chose it to be very clear, like this, it's not a show for everyone, but the truth is it is a show for everyone, but they just don't know it yet. <laughs> I love how you put that. So first of all, if, if we just take trauma, yeah, whether or not we've been through, you know, big T trauma, 
individual trauma, right? Right. And however you want to define that. We can't deny that 7 billion of us have been through a collective trauma that began in March of 2020 or December of 2019, uh, depending on when you want to start your calendar. So yes, we're all part of that that trauma. Uh, When it comes to the word hiders, we're all, depending on what we've been through, even if we haven't been through any major trauma or mental health issues, there are some secrets that we all are hiding from other people. And there's some reason for that. And, uh, and yeah, so when you start looking at those words, you're exactly right. It is for everyone. They don't necessarily know it just yet, Yeah. but hopefully by listening to uh, all of your episodes, people will discover, Hey, there's a little bit of me in that guest that I'm listening to today. That's right. Like the thing about being in the club. It doesn't sound like a club I want to belong in, like, oh, a trauma hider. And yet the truth is that upon recognition, seeing that in yourself is sort of that first step of, oh, wait, I'm hiding something. There's a reflection there. Perhaps perhaps there's something to do about that if I choose to, but I do know that I'm doing it. And what that leads to possibly is freedom. Whereas, right. Whereas if you're not in the, if you don't think you're in the club or you're like, fuck no, like trauma hiders club, not even on my radar. There's something that is, there's a cage you're in. Sorry, dudes. Like I can't deny this. (laughs) Well, I, I feel in many ways it starts for each and every one of us as fight club. Right. Well, we don't talk about it. That's right. But at some point we decide, okay, I'm going to share this, whatever this is with somebody. And so we morph from fight club to trauma hiders club. That's right. And in trauma hiders club, that's when we start to reveal it all. That's right. And we do talk about it. You know, we actually have the rules of trauma hiders club that I built off of fight club. I want to hear them. The first rule of trauma hiders club, talk about trauma hiders club. That's the first rule, just like fight club was now. Yeah. The second rule of Trauma Hiders Club is talk with a professional. Um, but I really did. Like, I looked at Fight Club and I was like, how can I make these? That was my inspiration was Fight Club. There you go. Um, yeah. And now yeah, you just have to have Brad Pitt and Ed Norton on. That's all. To talk about their hidden dramas. That's right. You know, we are now in in the third year of Trauma Hiders Club. So I'm sure that's right around the corner is <laughs> Brad Pitt and Ed Norton. That's right. Yeah, they're like, Karen, have us on already. I know. That's right. Like, let's be honest, they're actors, right? They're great at hiding things. And a lot of actors we know come from some sort of a trauma background and they play these characters. Right. So Brad Pitt and Ed Norton, if you're listening. All right. There's an invitation for you. You're going to have to wait because I have a lot of guests, but (laughs) we'll get to you eventually. Just calm down, guys. So let's talk about you and why you're here. I'll tell you why I believe you're here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's my show. I get to tell you why you're here. <laughs> Isn't it great about having a podcast? We yeah. have our own and it's our rules. We do what we want. Yeah. So we had we had a little uh, meet and greet probably more than a month ago. And what what struck me was your openness, willingness, and the you're a man of word and deed. You talk about mental health, right? You You struggle and talk about and have a a podcast and a universe that is about mental health. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I'm an open book. I talk about it 
on the podcast. I talk about it in person when I give uh, speeches. I talk about it to schools. I talk about it to anyone who will listen if you happen to run into me in a gondola or a chairlift uh, here in Colorado, because I truly believe, and, and when I look at my overarching why, uh, you know, Simon Sinek always talks about what is your why? My overarching why is I truly believe in a world where someday we can all speak open and honestly about our mental health issues without fear of judgment. Mm. And so from there is where the the podcast came and and writing and speaking and and all of these other things that I do but in its very core, you know, I ha- I have a story. We all have a story. Uh my story started out in secret for quite a long time. But when I when I found my voice and I started to tell my story, it was almost as though I was like the Energizer Bunny and I couldn't shut it off. And what I'm discovering now is not only is my story healing for me each and every time I tell it, but by having the platform and being able to bring other people's stories to life, it's healing for them and it's healing for other people who are listening. And so it's all about building that community one person at a time. Mm-hmm. Really? That's right. That's what we're doing here. You just you just described what it is to know that you're in the Trauma Hunters Club. <laughs> right? You did. Yep. Because what you yep. said is like you became the Energizer Bunny. Once you see the thing, and I personally, I think it's seeing it might be enough for some people, right? Like seeing that this is a thing. This is a way of being or a way of doing or however you want to see it. and that might, for some people, that might be real reflection enough. And of mm-hmm. course, then there's those who might choose to dig in and do some work around that. But that's where freedom starts. Yes. That's where yeah. your energy started. That's where your Energizer Bunny got like that battery inserted was right then and there. When yes. Yeah. And and as I think about that analogy, the Energizer Bunny, it, it's... It's built around a battery. Mm -hmm. And over time, that battery begins to wear down a little bit. Yeah. And the important thing is recognizing when that battery is wearing down and changing it when it needs to be changed and paying attention that, oh, I think it needs to be changed rather than letting it run out uh, and then, you know, descending back into wherever it is that we've been before and then having to scratch and claw our way out. And, And I always talk on our show uh, my tagline is it's perfectly okay to not always be okay. And and it I, I've heard for so long now it's perfectly okay to not be okay. And and the more I reflected on that, it's it's not good to not be okay every day. Uh and if you're not okay every day, uh, then it's really time to to, to speak to someone, to seek help. But we're all going to have days or we're going to have, you know, a succession of days where things might not be okay. And as long as we recognize it, and as long as we have the tools, the toolbox, the people around us who can help us when we need to rely on them, then we can reach out and we can re-energize just like the Energizer Bunny. And people like you, Karen, and me and and my co-hosts and others, that allows us to have that energy to be there not only for ourselves, but to be there for others in their time of need. Yeah. Absolutely. Really nice. So here you are today, podcast survivor to thriver. What are you? I was going to say, were you? But as we know, the work always continues. What are you surviving? 
Loaded question, huh? Uh, so I'm surviving as I know now. And uh-huh. my official diagnosis was in this early December of 2021. So I am uh, surviving childhood emotional PTSD. Mm. However, for a very, very long time, 33 years to be exact. Uh, so I'm 51 now. So it wasn't until 18 years ago that I even started to speak openly with a therapist Mm -hmm. about the severe anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder that I had been experiencing since childhood. Did you, did you know that you were, that you were experiencing anxiety and OCD or did you have to be told like, dude, this is what that is? I had to be told. I so if, if I'm being totally honest, I thought I was broken. I thought mm-hmm. I was fucked up. I thought mm-hmm. I, I used to look around at all my friends and I would think, what what's wrong with me? Everybody else is, I'm using air quotes, everybody else is normal. And I've got these thoughts in my head that if anybody even found out about, uh, they would call the police, I'd be locked up. Uh, the anxiety, you know, just getting through the day mm-hmm. was was often challenging and difficult and, and stressful. And, and all of the compulsions that come with obsessive compulsive disorder, it took up so much of my time. And, mm. and so I look back now and I, I think I knew something was different, but because I never spoke about it, I was, I was too scared to speak about it. I was ashamed to speak about it. Right. I didn't want to be judged. All all of the things that um, I I didn't know what it was. Then when I did speak about it, we really were treating the symptoms. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until uh, so a year and a half ago when Mm -hmm. I actually got the PTSD diagnosis. You you had mentioned earlier the thing. I had a thing. And I was like, Mm -hmm. awesome. Those four letters changed my life. I had Mm -hmm. a thing. And finally, I could identify this thing and say, okay, I am going to do all the work now necessary with all of the great trauma-informed care and all of the great PTSD uh, healing modalities to be able to address that at its root cause. And, And in doing so, I'll really be able to figure out where the anxiety comes from, where the obsessive compulsive disorder comes from, and be able to manage it in a completely different way. I want to go back, not into, we don't need the details Mm -hmm. of the how or why, um, but I'm curious, what would we see if we saw, um, if we saw obsessive compulsive younger you? Would we see you like slamming the door or what, what were these things in your uh, thoughts? Were so they actually, yeah, yeah. Th- that, that's a great question. So even somebody such as me who's diagnosed with OCD in my mid thirties, if I think back to younger me, younger Eric, little Eric, however you want to describe him, I was under the impression, as I think many people are, that obsessive compulsive disorder is all about being neat. So everything's yeah. in order, uh, yeah. color coded, right. right? Don't touch this, don't touch that. And and even my college roommates, they thought, you know, and they used to joke like, "Oh, you're so OCD." And 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 yes, so it would the compulsion would sometimes manifest itself in excessive neatness. However, if you looked at me from the outside, you would have 
absolutely no idea. Uh, so for me, OCD manifested itself in something called intrusive thoughts. Mm. And intrusive thoughts are these unwanted, often terrifying thoughts that play as an endless loop in your head. Nobody can see them from the outside. I know they're there. They're like that bright, shiny object. And they they constantly want you to know, I'm here mm. and I'm haunting you. And when you're not aware of what intrusive thoughts are, or you're not aware of how to deal with OCD, the immediate reaction is to try to push it away. Go away. I don't want... And like every shiny object, I'm, I'm reading a Stephen King novel now. So like every Stephen King novel, it wants to be in your head and it wants to be there all the time. And so the more I would try to push those intrusive thoughts away, the more they would stick with me. And that would then create anxiety, the worry, the panic. When are these going to go away? How long is this going mm. to last? It would result in sleeplessness agitation, anger, all, all things that I'm now looking back on and, and noticing in the person that I was for a very, very long time. And, and the compulsions, I used to be able to hide them really well. And a lot of them would revolve around doing things in threes. Mm -hmm. It would be turning the light switch on and off three times. It would be checking the front door. I would close and lock the front door and I would have to check it three times. And the reason the compulsions are there for people with obsessive compulsive disorder is it gives us this false sense of safety and security in a world where we feel extremely unsafe and extremely mm -hmm. insecure. And that was the world that I was in. And so for me, the OCD was part of my everyday life. And I, I recently uh, talked about this where now that the OCD... I'm able to really, really manage it. And it's there, there are there are long periods of time where the OCD is really non-existent. Uh, and so my anxiety level is extremely low. I now realize how much of my day that actually took up and how much energy it took up. Yeah. And it's hard for me to believe that I was able to exist and have a very successful career in New York City, uh, in the banking world, while experiencing all of this anxiety and all of this OCD, have friends you know, have a successful marriage, you know, all, all of the things that um, I, I would think would be nearly impossible I was able to do. And, yeah. and you know, putting your title Trauma Hiders Club on there, you know, I wore a facade that was by, by for all intents and purposes, uh, you know, magnificent. Nobody knew what was going on yeah. behind the mask. And up until the, the time I left New York City, except for my therapist and my wife and some very close friends, people still didn't know until I really started to become public about it and, and start to share more and more on, on our podcast. Really cool. Now I'm sitting here, of course, because I, I don't know. I don't know if it's summer heat or the state of the world, but suddenly I'm catastrophizing. And now I have OCD. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And now I'm like, oh, wait, that thing that I call the end endless loop, like on, you know, that always plays in my head. Yep. Oh, shit. Oh, that's what it is. I have OCD. No one's ever told me. Mm -hmm. um, they recently did tell me I have PTSD. That was about two and a half years ago. Yeah. And yep. I, I saw it on a file, like on my, on my, and I was like, wait. And my so nobody therapist, actually told you you have to told like me my sneak a peek at the. I didn't even sneak a peek. It was just like something that she maybe she handed she handed me a piece of paper or it fell or whatever. But 
I said, wait, that says PTSD. It may have been like a insurance kind of thing. I don't know. It, it was yep. something where it was typed in there. And I said, <laughs> me? <laughs> like, wait, I have P I and she said, Yeah, like as if I should have I, I should have, you know, she thought I was told. Yep. Yeah. And I remember my therapist when uh so early December 2021, I was on the verge. So within hours of my third psychotic break. And I was I was sitting in her office here in Colorado with my wife. And I was I had been begging both of them for two hours uh on a on a phone call that it was time for me to check into an inpatient retreat. Mm-hmm. I, I kept saying, it's not fair to everybody around me. I'm a burden to everybody around me. Mm. Uh, I, I can't go through this again. Uh, and I remember sitting on her couch, head down in a ball, and she said, you have PTSD. And I, in this weird moment of clarity, I I looked up and I said, what? Yeah. And she said, I've never told you before. And she said, I thought I had told you. And I said, no, I said PTSD. And then of course I run through the litany of things I haven't been in, right? I haven't been I mean, in I've war. I've been in war, well, poverty. Yeah, right. but br- yeah. roll roll the, yeah. the, the PTSD tape. Right. There's no, there's all sorts of PTSD and it's childhood PTSD. And and in that moment, I could feel, even though I was still in this you know, dark place and had a lot of work to do and a lot of work ahead of me, I looked up and I th- I thought, I have a thing. Like we were just talking about. I said, yeah. I, have a, I have a thing. And she goes, yeah, we can, tr- we can treat this thing. Like there's all new treatment modalities. Like we can, we can address this thing. And I could feel my shoulders start to lift a little bit. Uh, yeah. And suddenly I went from wanting to, you know, just be checked into a, some hospital somewhere and medicated and, and just away from the world to, I can do this. Yeah. I can do this. Uh, and, and I, I tell people now, like those four letters changed my life forever for the positive. Nice. What'd you do? So from that, that day it was, uh, and it's important for your, your audience to hear this. Um, it was three days a week of seeing my therapist. I did something called a timeline. And what I had to do is I had to go back. And all the way to, uh, let's call it zero days, even though we can't remember zero days, mm-hmm. from zero days until the age of, at the time, I was 50. And it was a, there was a line. And above the line were all the positive events. Below the line were all the quote-unquote negative events. And I, start, I had to start going back mm. and r- write down at what age and and what the the memory was mm-hmm. and and what i noticed is as i started doing the timeline there wasn't a whole lot above that line mm. there was a lot below it and as i started talking more and more about those events we started to notice a particular pattern and that particular pattern was relating again to certain people and, and certain things and not only did it help me recognize where all of this was coming from I always thought I had done some of the deep work, but I really had just kind of scratched the surface of like, okay, here's what's causing my anxiety today. Here's what's causing my my OCD today and kind of let's just manage it. I was finally able to see a pattern. And then 
from there, I was able to start to see some positives. You know, she was working with me to recognize it doesn't have to be, you know, some amazing thing like graduating from college or graduating from business school. It can be the little things and all these little things start to add up to positive things. Mm -hmm. And that really helped me to understand the past, but to look at the past also in a different way so that I could set up my future with a, with a much more positive outlook. And, and I continue to do that to this day. I, I, I journal quite a bit. I was mentioning before we came on, I, I like to play music and I play guitar and, and I've, I've been noticing now the, the way I play has changed. I, I just sit down and, you know, I kind of think about what's going on around me and it gives me energy when I'm playing the guitar. It's when I'm out skiing or I'm out mountain biking. It's, it's all part of this, you know, healing journey and, and looking at things in the positive, not thinking about like the weather sucks today, or the snow is not so great, or I can't get my fingers to do what I want. It's, oh, isn't that cool? Like, mm-hmm. I got to go out and ski today, or it's really beautiful, or the wildflowers are, are really, you know, starting to pop. And it's, it's just been a completely different mindset for me. And that, in in many ways, when you talk about it, that's what that's what going back to New York this past week was all about for me. Tell me more about that. It was all about that in what way? Sure. So I always and and this is what we do on the show as well. I love I love to not only talk about you know where I came from, but like what I'm doing now mm. to continue to change the trajectory of my journey. So my wife and I. Moved from New York City. We'd lived there for 18 years. So we moved here to Colorado in the Rocky Mountains in October of 2011. And so when I was living in New York uh, was when my anxiety and my OCD was at its greatest. I suffered two, uh, you know, whatever name we want to call them, dissociative episodes, nervous breakdowns, mm. psychotic breaks. One was in 2004. One was in 2006. And... I, it's when I really, I finally started to see a therapist It's when I started to speak openly to my wife for the first time about what was happening and some close friends. But we realized that New York was adding a lot of stress to a person who was already dealing with a whole lot, uh, and, and hadn't discovered a whole lot of what I was actually dealing with. And so we decided to move here to Colorado and I went back to New York in 2013. And I went back still full of anger, still full mm-hmm. of, and I'll, I'll use the word hatred. I blamed New York for a whole lot of things. Uh, as soon as we landed there, uh, you know, all those years ago, uh, all I could start to think about was like all the bad memories. So back to Colorado, we come after that. It was a really quick trip go there again in 2015. Uh, we had been invited to uh, to a party for the weekend. And again, right away, I land and it's all of the negative thoughts mm. and it's all the negative energy and the anxiety. And so we come back here and, and at that point I was like, fuck that, fuck New York. I'm never going back again. I hate that place. And so here we are in the last year and a half and working with my therapist. And one of the things I started to, to recognize with her is that I'm an empath and I really start to take on lots and lots of people's energy. And of course, the energy you tend to take on is the 
is is already what you're feeling. And so for me, it's anxiety. And so you put me in a place full of anxious people. You put me in an airport. You put me, you know, in New York City. And I'm going to, all I'm going to do is pick up on that energy and it's going to exacerbate what's already happening with me. So we started to talk about that. And then I had never thought about it before, but my wife and I were living in New York City on 9-11. And from our apartment building in the Upper West Side, we could walk outside and we could actually see the pile, right? They called Mm. it the pile. We could see it smoldering. Uh, My wife had worked in World Trade Center uh, after the first bombing. She got out, um, Mm. not the day of the bombing, but she uh, left the company she was at a year before. Uh, So she wasn't there, but she knew plenty of people who who were being in the finance world. There's lots of finance companies in there. So I knew people who got out, who didn't get out. I heard lots of stories. And looking back with my therapist and doing some work, she said, you've also, you know, you've gone through this PTSD experience having been in New York. Uh, and, And then I started to put a lot of the pieces of the puzzle together. Yes, it changed the way I used to commute, right? It was a little more fight or flight every day. I used to get on the subway thinking, oh, if the subway stops, like what bad thing is happening above ground right now? Or am I going to die on my way to work? All things that I never thought about prior to September 11th, 2001. Mm. And, And so I casually mentioned to her, I said, you know, I'd love to be able to go back to New York someday with a completely different mindset. Just to be able to go back there and observe New York City and and kind of make peace with it. Because, uh, you know, a lot of people do that when it comes to family members. They uh-huh. do it when it comes to relationships. And I was like, I need to do it with this city that mm. I had fallen in love with when I was in college. And I I truly still do now recognize that I, I love that city. Uh, and I have so many amazing friends and so many amazing memories. And so my wife uh, works remotely here in Colorado. Her company is based in New York City, and she has to go back once a year. And she needed to go back a week ago. And it was probably in March or April. And and I actually said to her, I said, you know what? I'm going to come back with you. And I hadn't been back in eight years. And I said, I think it's time. I think I'm ready. I told my therapist, I said, I'm I think I'm ready. This is this is going to be it. And and so we both, you know, we we go to New York and we both had two completely different agendas. Her agenda is work meetings. My agenda was I am going to make peace with New York. Mm. I'm going to journal about this. I'm going to see a few of the people who I really want to see, who uh, I'm still quite friendly with. Um, but I'm also not going to broadcast this. So nobody knew that we were there. We, we were, we were there for four days in, out, no social media, kept very close to the vest. But what I did, we were staying in Midtown right near Central Park. And each day my wife and I would have breakfast. She would walk to her office and I would just wander the city. And I, and I know it sounds weird, um, especially, you know, you were just saying, you know, the, the catastrophe of what's going on in the world. And, yeah. and, and I can tell you for, for your listeners, uh, New York City is alive and well. It is not like what you hear uh, on the media. It's not what you read in the newspapers. Uh, it, it is really no different than it was when I left in, in 2011. Mm-hmm. And so I found myself just wandering. 
I, I would meet some friends for lunch and then I'd walk to another neighborhood. And suddenly I would find myself back on the Upper West Side. And then I would wander somewhere else. And and one afternoon I I just found myself gravitating to this Turkish restaurant in Midtown. I, I just was craving Turkish food and and I sat down and I was just thinking, I'm like, you know, people have compared me before to Anthony Bourdain. And um, you know, and here I am. I'm just, you know, I'm I'm just journaling and writing and eating and and experiencing all these things. And 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 it was a magical four days. And mm. the anxiety never came and the OCD never came. And I I saw it through the lens that I saw it from when I was 21 years old. This beautiful city with all these amazing people. But I had learned how to not take on that energy. I had learned that things that were going on around me were completely and totally out of my control, that I could only control what was happening with me. And so I got back on the plane on Thursday and we flew back here to Colorado. And, you know, I had done a lot of writing when I was there and I and I look back on it and I think, wow, what an incredibly healing experience that was for me. And I've already been saying, like, I can't wait to go back. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I left there in 2011 and 2013 and 2015, uh, in, in a completely and totally different mindset. And, and I, you know, I've been able to put all that anger and, and unwanted, you know, hatred, um, away. And, and I've been able to forgive myself and forgive New York for things that the city never actually did to me. Um, but in a way it did for me. And now I, I can see it through a completely different lens. That's really, really cool, really powerful stuff. And I want to acknowledge your willingness and your courage. Like it could have gone to shit. Oh, it could have absolutely gone to it shit. Could, when, it could, yeah. 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 I, I knew, I'll tell you, I knew I knew it wasn't going to when, and, and not before we left, because I uh-huh. still, right, was like, yeah, where is this going to go? But as we made our approach to LaGuardia, and and I've flown in and out of New York airports on business, you know, countless times. As soon as we started to make that approach and we flew over the city and I looked down and I saw the buildings... And all the emotions started to come. Mm. It wasn't one emotion in particular. Like I was looking out the window, smiling. I recognized all the buildings. Um, you know, I I felt this like longing for for something that like I hadn't had in in a really long time. And as we touched down at LaGuardia, like. I just felt at peace. I, I know for people who have never been to New York or people who have maybe been once or twice and they, it's chaos and it's, um, I completely and totally felt at peace. And and after the first day, I, I t- said to my wife, I said, you know, I don't feel like we live here anymore at all. Yeah. I also, I don't feel like a tourist at all. I'm just here. I'm yeah. here just... My body knows where to go. My legs know where to go. Yeah. And I'm just kind of wandering around and it all looks very familiar. It's like a place I've seen before, but it's not a place that I live in. It's and it's and I'm not and I'm not a tourist in a in a strange city. I'm just existing and I'm and I'm here. So yeah, yeah. right up until we, you know, we took off from Denver. I thought, yep, this could really go to shit. And if it does. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got my therapist on speed dial and, you know, I have my medication and I have, I have all the tools in case I really needed them, but not once during that trip did, did any of that stuff come up. 
But you know what? You That's just it. You had, forget about like speed dial and medication, you had your resources with you. You had a whole toolkit of work, right? A whole body of work that you have done. Yep. And that stayed with you. Yes. And when I so, think about and when I think about your show, yeah. We go we go to the very beginning of you know the trauma, trauma. There's my New York accent. Yeah, trauma, trauma hiders club. Right. We we go from hiding things right. to slowly talking about those things and then openly talking about those things and then putting that toolbox together. Yeah. And then being able to go back and heal those things. And 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 as as I think about it, right, I, I've kind of come full circle. Yeah. And I've been you able already to heal healed it. those. Yeah. Before you got on that, I mean, those things were healed. Yeah. It was just the, you know, it was almost like a reunion. Yes. Yes. In a way. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was going to be one of two paths. Was it going to be a trigger or was it right. going to be a reunion? Like right. you just said, I love how yeah. you put that. And that's really what it was. It was a reunion and it all looked so familiar, but it felt, it felt like a lifetime ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting when you were talking about all the, um, you know, when you were making your initial descent um, <laughs> with your tray tables <laughs> in their full upright position, yep. and you said you had like all the emotions, mm -hmm. what I imagined, and I, you know, I don't know, and I don't know that we'll know. I imagine that the fuckery of our internal systems goes looking for, just naturally, goes looking for the shit, goes mm -hmm. looking for the, oh, this is, you know, like there's still that little piece that's like, oh, this is going to go really bad, right? Like that, yes. just that, that little yep. annoying kid who like just looks for the worst part of everything and like, and has a terrible speech impediment, like this is really going to go wrong, um, yep. right? Like that person is... So like our central nervous system fires up and like wants it yes. because that feels normal. Yes. The, and the other thing that happened, so I do a lot with Eastern medicine as well. Mm -hmm. so, and that's been a big, that's been a big part of my healing was, com is combining Western medicine with, you know, being in nature, but also Eastern. And I do a lot of Reiki. And one of the things that my energy healer very early on talked to me about is how the body stores trauma and where it stores trauma. And for me, I had always had a, like a lot of lower back pain. I've always chalked it up to, you know, being an out of control athlete all the way back to my middle school days. Now, you know, teaching skiing and just beating the shit out of my body all the time. And, and I had felt, you know, really good in the run up to going to New York. A couple of days before my lower back was just really bothering me. And I remember sitting in the airport in Denver and just getting up from a chair. It was like, you know, I'm 51, but I never feel 51. I always feel mm -hmm. 25. I was like, oh, my back, my back. And then I was like, aha, I know. Uh -huh. Yep. And again, your audience, I'm not trying to get too woo woo, but the other way that I knew how this trip was going to go was as the plane landed, I just kind of like stretched and my whole lower back just released. I could Ooh. feel the whole thing release. 
And I was like, there it is. There it is. It's gone. It's gone. Yeah. Like I just needed to see the city. And as you said, the central nervous system and yeah. you know, the fight or flight, like yeah. it all just released. And my back hasn't bothered me since. That's really cool. That's really cool. I, w- I want to go back to the beginning where we talked about you're a man who speaks about mental health, who wants us all to speak about mental health. Tell me, is it important if you're someone who is taking a look at your, I, I don't know why when we say mental health, it means there's something wrong. I wish there was an, I, I can't think of another way to say this. If you're someone who's reflective mm-hmm. <laughs> on who you be in the world, let's put it that way. Okay. Is it important, is it important to have a community around you that is also reflective or does it, doesn't it matter? It absolutely 100,000% matters. Mm. And for me, as I've done a lot of this, my own healing work, I've noticed the community around me and who I choose to have around me has changed quite significantly. Mm. And I have gravitated more and more towards people who are not takers. When Mm. I look back prior careers, prior life, things I've done, it's always been about pleasing other people, doing things for other people. I've been, my my energy healer talks about, you know, energy vampires. And mm-hmm. there are people who can sense your energy and they just take and take and take and they don't give. Mm-hmm. And, and in the latest iteration of my journey, I've really kind of shed a lot of those people. And now I, I, I recognize them for who they are and they're kind of tangential relationships in my life and I can they can come and they can go and I can have a conversation or we can get together and have a drink uh or dinner but they're not really part of my my inner circle they're not part of what fills up my cup and so for me having that community around me and it's a growing community and and I'm lucky in many ways to to have now the platform that I do with the podcast and mm-hmm. and and other forms of of media to be able to interact with other people in the mental health community to be able to talk about these things and and it's all about destigmatizing it as well and you were you were searching for a different word for it. And, and to me, there's two completely different things. One is mental health, right? It's our overall, you know, health and well-being, right? There's, there's the cognitive and the somatic and, and we can talk about mental health, but there's also, you know, mental illness. And, and one of the things I try to do is when, when shattering stigmas, I want to destigmatize that word mental illness, because for so long, people would hear the term mental illness and they'd want to run to the other side of the street when right. they'd hear like, oh, that person's mentally ill. Right. Uh, but if you go to visit somebody in the hospital who is ill with some sort of disease or virus, right? You have no problem going into the room and visiting them. You're not afraid, right? They're, they don't pose a threat to you, just like somebody with a mental illness does not pose a threat to someone else. Mm-hmm. We pose more of a threat to ourselves with what we're thinking and what we're feeling than we ever would to somebody 
to the mm-hmm. outside world. Uh, but yeah, community, and I, and I talk about this a lot, community is everything. And and if we don't have that supportive community around us, if we don't find people who fill us up, if we don't find people who we can have these honest and open conversations with who won't pass judgment, then it's really, really difficult to be able to start to speak you know, openly and honestly about what's going on with us. And, and it ends up, unfortunately, with, you know, people like me who spend 33 years kind of hiding in the shadows and not sharing. And, and I'm, I'm here to tell everyone, it doesn't have to be like that for you. Mm-hmm. We're, we're in a world now where we can speak openly and honestly. There are people out there uh, who will listen and who want to listen and who don't want to pass judgment. And, and you know, Karen, the work you're doing and, and what we're doing, it's, it's all about helping to foster those conversations in whichever way possible. Yeah, that's really terrific. I think about my kids. We have, I was going to say two boys. They are two men. In fact, my older son just started his medical residency today. I think we can call him a man. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He's physically Uh, a man. I like to think that I'm physically a man, but that little boy is who never got to experience a lot of things when he was little Eric is yeah. is living and experiencing things through this male men body whatever you want this to put vessel it. of man yes. right yes yeah what i have noticed about my boys i'm going to call them generation is they're open to all of this I mean, I don't know if it's my boys and their friends and the people they hang with, but like, you know, they openly talk about going to a therapist and they openly talk about what I talked about with my therapist and they openly talk about um, how everyone should be assigned a therapist, (laughs) like a, a you know, as if that person is a mentor, coach, therapist, um, everything. And I'm wondering, you know, it just occurs to me, Mm -hmm. I wonder if people like you and me even need to have a podcast like in the next 10 years, because, you know, who knows if this generation is open. Yeah, that's like that's a that's that's fantastic. They've seen a lot of shit. We saw a lot of we saw a lot of shit, too. We weren't allowed in the house. and We had to drink water out of the hose. But (laughs) um, water. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) I was a hose water kid. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. We were the, uh, the street. Had that, kids. had that like a hint of a metallic taste to it, but it I was know always, it. always bitter cold. Oh, ours was always warm. Oh, ours was always cold. I lived, yeah. I grew up in New England. So it was. Yeah. I grew yeah. up in Cleveland. It should have been cold, but it always, <laughs> I don't know. You know what I'm thinking of? I'm sorry. Hose water was cold. Squirt gun water. That was. Oh warm. yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I see yep. people with these Keurig coffee makers. Do you have a Keurig coffee maker? Yeah. You know what that is? Old school. Yeah, me too. I just see like squirt gun coffee. Yeah, it's not real coffee. It's not real coffee. It's just, it's from that. Did you have that green hornet squirt gun? Do you know? No, I, we used to have like the really, really, really old, cheap plastic ones. They were like different colors and yeah, you just fill them up with water and you could probably take the little thing off the yeah to take the little yes out of the end out of the end but yeah yeah it had like a tea thing that you had to fit back in yeah yeah but the the green hornet was of that era it was it kind of looked like a wasn't like such a gun so for parents who didn't like guns this was a cool thing because it kind of fit around your fingers yeah it was green maybe you don't remember it It i don't remember it looked like a grenade in a way i'm envisioning the one i had it was like this 
yellow goldish color uh-huh. and you'd be lucky if it's squirt like two feet <laughs> right exactly they didn't they didn't no. um but like my kids generation yeah. they you know they saw they saw like they saw buildings fall they saw marriages fall they saw they've seen a lot of stuff they've seen economies crash they've like they have 24-hour news cycles it's no wonder they're op- they're far more open Yes. Oh, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And and to your point about the podcast, I'm sure podcasters who do this for a living and, yeah. and try to make a lot of money off it will put me like way out to the shame pasture. But yeah, I'm with you. If if yeah. my podcast doesn't need to exist in five or seven years from now, job done. Like yeah. conversation is rolling and I, I will happily find other mediums to be able to continue like my mental health advocacy. But the podcast was all about opening up that dialogue. And if that dialogue is 100% open, then yeah, the podcast doesn't need to be. And, right, and exactly. And, and to get to your point, I, other point, I, you know, social media, you know, there's the good side and the, and the not so good side about mm-hmm. everything. And there's the good side about social media. And I think it's really helped to exacerbate the conversation. Uh, I spend time skiing with lots of teenagers. And so I get to see what's happening in, in the social media space. And people are people are talking, as you said, and and Snapchatting and and Instagramming mm-hmm. openly about their their therapist and and I have anxiety or I have OCD. And and some people may think, well, that's a little bit too much oversharing and let them, you know, think what they might in 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 their own uh in their own space. But you're right. I, I hear kids and and young adults talking about it all the time. And and so my hope is that this generation that's that's coming up is going to be talking about this just like our generation now talks about cancer, like our generation yeah. talks about AIDS, all of these taboo mm-hmm. topics that when you and I were growing up and we were in high school and we were in college, we didn't talk about. Right. Yeah. It was it was whispered in hushed tones. Right. Uh, and and I feel like mental health is is at a place now where it's a tsunami and it's pretty far out to sea, but some of the ripples are starting to come in. For and sure. those are the conversations we're starting to see in this generation. Yeah. And and I'm not one to be like a bandwagon sports fan, but when it comes to mental health, I feel like a lot of us now have gotten on that bandwagon as, as the tsunami is starting to come in. And when it crashes to shore, uh, it is going to break down all of these walls of yeah. we don't talk about it, we don't share, we don't talk about this out of the house. All of those things, hopefully in our lifetime, will will be gone. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully we do that before the tsunami. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So tell me, what are you most excited about in your world? A few things, actually. So I just had an article published in Ski Magazine uh, about Mm -hmm. four weeks ago. It was an amazing honor for me when I think back to having learned how to ski as an adult at 33 years old and then completely changing the trajectory of my career and going on to teach skiing here in Colorado, where I wrote about how skiing in in many ways saved my life. And Mm. really it was the intersection of mental health and skiing and and how important being outdoors and being in nature can be on one's healing journey. Uh, I have and am doing some work, hint, hint. So maybe I'll come back on to talk about it. uh, Related to that, with you know bringing mental health into the ski space uh, and and helping people to heal 
from trauma, heal from other types of mental health issues and addiction and sub whatever it might be uh, through skiing. And I'm also uh, in the process of writing a chapter. So I will be, uh, as of September, a published author. Uh, I've been asked to write a chapter in an upcoming book, uh, which is called From Scars to Stars. And in there, I'll be writing a little bit about my own personal journey of, you know, going from survivor uh, to thriver. And of course, you know, the podcast continues uh, to grow strong. You were saying this is episode 125. Uh, We currently have uh, 121 episodes out in the public, but we're off recording into into the 130s. And so lots of exciting guests coming up. And uh, some, I just got to meet one of our uh, very, very, very early guests from back in uh, early 2021 when I was in New York this past week and and she and I got to chat for a bit. And so so I feel like all of my, my worlds are sort of coming together now and I'm finding ways to be able to meld all of my passions and, and my own healing journey so that I can continue to help others, but I can also continue to help myself at the same time. Awesome. That's so cool. Uh, can you send us the can you send me the ski article in ski magazine or can i just find it by googling it no i can email it to you and or, then we'll put a yeah. we'll link it oh that'd be amazing thank you yeah yeah and then we can all read about it awesome thank you so and much and read your writing yeah absolutely yeah the book comes out in september mid september book and so the what you wrote about in the book is going to be different than what yes. you have it okay so yes. um the book yeah. comes out in September. So when the article was very the article was very specific in yeah. how learning to ski at at an older age really helped my mental health journey. Uh, but I think there's also an overarching message in there that you're never too old to learn new things. Yeah. Uh, and you're never too old to try things that may end up changing the course of your mental or physical or both health trajectories. Uh, and the book, uh, is going to be, you know, the chapter is, is more about my own personal story and what I've overcome. Um, and, and I like to talk a lot about how you can do hard things, uh, and how each and every one of us who has been on one of these trauma journeys, we've learned along the way how to do hard things and how to persevere. And, and so, um, yeah, without giving too much away, there'll be parts of that, uh, in that chapter. And it's from scars to stars. And it's, is it, is there a specific author or is it like, uh, it's a compilation. There'll yeah. be 21 authors in this one. It's it's the third volume of the book that's being published. Oh, I see. Okay. So we'll link that. All right, great. What has been most helpful for you being in the Trauma Hiders Club today? Oh, wow. I would say getting to share first time since I've returned to New York. Nice. A real live recent part of my healing journey with your audience and, and, you know, just being able again to be able to share pieces and parts of my story so that hopefully one of your listeners might hear a piece or part of their own story in that. Mm -hmm. Um, And if it changes the trajectory of their own mental health journey, if it encourages them to speak to someone, if it makes them feel Like they're not alone. I know you talk Mm. about this a lot, that they're not alone on their journey, that there's somebody else out there just like them who's a real 
relatable person, then, you know, job done. Exactly. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. This was great. You've been listening to the Trauma Hiders Club podcast. For more episodes, head over to my website where you'll find links to resources mentioned and all the ways you can listen on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ready to fight, discover the rules of Trauma Club. Head over to KarenGoldfingerBaker.com.